0: Welcome to Rewind, the book club where we reread old YA books and tell you our unfiltered opinions with lots of wine involved. For your hosts, I'm Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. And I'm Emily Cavender. So, this is episode eight, and we are starting a new series. We are going over a series of unfortunate events. And for this episode, we're going over the first two. So that is The Bad Beginning and The Reptile Room.
1: Emily, are you excited? Um, I was more excited before I started reading them. (laughs) (laughs) I think I forgot how bleak they are. And I definitely did not remember how significantly fucked up they are. And I cannot believe that I was reading these when I was like 10 years old.
0: Uh, I had the same thought and we're going to get into our like memories of this series in a second. But first, the more important question is, what are you drinking?
1: Mm, I wrote it down. Are you proud of me? I'm so proud. (laughs) Honestly, um, (laughs) Sarah knows this already. I forgot we were filming today, but this morning when I was running errands, I briefly remembered and i happened to grab a bottle of wine at the grocery store so it is not fancy it's not even that good it's okay um i got one of the cheapest bottles of rose that they had it's a 2019 rue de pearl rose from france wow so um sounds fancy and it's just, it's i mean it was 12 dollars. so <laughs> that's fair
0: Um, my wine tonight is also just okay. Um, I feel like I enjoyed this wine more the first time I tried it. And I don't know if I just have a bad bottle or what, but I definitely don't like it as much this time around. Um, I think it's called Psi, P-S-I, and it's Mm -hmm. a 2018, um, from Ribera del Duero. So another Spanish wine,
1: Mm -hmm. like always. Okay. So when we start a new series, the first thing we have to talk about are like, is what, what do you remember from the first time you read these books as a kid?
0: So I remember like discovering these books in the library of my elementary school. That is where I first started to read them. I was a little late to the game. I think I started them in like fourth grade. Um, I love this series. This series has like been one of my Favorite like childhood series, I would say, besides like Harry Potter. Um, and I felt like this, I always tell people this series formed my sense of humor. Um, because <laughs> I still remember um from the Arizette's elevator book when they went to this restaurant called Cafe Salmonella, and the entire restaurant theme is salmon. And I just think that's hilarious. Um, (laughs) And I just appreciate like good puns and like witty jokes and like plays on words. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like that's like this series is why I appreciate all of that.
1: I, on the other hand, have a traumatic introduction to these books. (laughs) Oh, God. I can't remember (laughs) if I told you this story or not. So we'll see. Okay. I blame certain aspects of the way that my brain works on the way that I was introduced to these books okay. so i'm in the 5th grade i think i had like just gotten into harry potter which was what really got me into reading in the first place and i was talking to my teacher and i was like i want to read more books what should i read you know i always had a really high reading level i just didn't enjoy it before then you know so i was looking for a recommendation because your girl wanted to expand her reading selection. And so, you know, in elementary school, there's usually like a little classroom library, which is really just like a bookshelf of books that your teacher owns instead of the school owning. Um, So we went over to the library and she had them like separated by reading level. And on my reading level was the series of Unfortunate Events books. And um, she was like, oh, you'll love these. These are really popular right now. This is like perfect for your level. And I was like, cool. And then I looked at the shelf and the first book wasn't there. And I was like, oh, well, the first book isn't here. So I guess I'll have to wait until whoever borrowed it brings it back and then I can read it. And she was like, oh, no, 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 Emily. These don't have to be read in order. You can read them out of order because every, every single one's so different. And I was like, cool. So I looked at my options and I picked up the AirSats elevator because there was two E's and my name starts with an E. And I was like, that's one. I'm going to read this one. Needless to say, Mrs. Woods, my fifth grade teacher at Huntersville Elementary School in Franklin, Tennessee, these books cannot be read out of order. And I was very confused and very upset by this fact. And it ruined things for me. Of course, I then went back from the beginning and I started them and read them in order as one should. But to this day, I refuse to do anything out of order. I, I, growing up, like my family would watch TV together, right? Even the shows where it truly doesn't matter, like crime dramas, where it's just like the murder of the week, you know? Those can be watched out of order, but I won't do it because Mrs. Woods burned me (laughs) and I will never forget this. And this has had a lasting impact on my life because this is 20 years later and I am like crazy about having to watch everything in order having to read everything in order like I don't I don't even like it's like anything that could possibly be done in order has to be done in order for me because it just like was burned into my psyche when I was 10 years old oh, and I didn't go, know Mrs. It sounds, Woods, right I know it sounds like I'm probably like exaggerating and I'm not like I swear I am not I cannot miss out on anything um I can't watch anything unless You know, I think, you know what? I'm going to take it even a step further and say that my craziness when I'm watching TV or movies with my friends and I've never seen it before, I have to be able to hear the dialogue because if I miss a sentence of dialogue, that could be really important to the plot later on. And I will shush my friends and rewind it so that I can hear the dialogue. And the doll goes back to you, Mrs. Woods. She's probably not even there anymore. You know what? She was actually a permanent sub, like my real teacher, um, got sick like a month into school and Mrs. Woods took over. So who knows where you are? You were a really great teacher aside from, you know, traumatizing me, but, um, yeah, so that's my memory of a series of unfortunate <laughs> events. Um, I actually never finished these the first time around. Cause when I first started reading wow. them, they weren't done. Right. Um, I think that I got to like 10 or 11.
0: Okay, But I distinctly almost got there.
1: Yeah, I almost got there. But I remember when the last one came out and my little sister read it. And then I was like, it's been so long. I'm going to have to start over from the beginning. And at this point in my life, you know, I'd moved on to bigger series. And, you know, my 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 reading list was very long by my own choice. And I just didn't have the time to dedicate to it. So I'm really excited to start over because I'll finally finish it. And I also don't remember a whole lot about them. We talked mm-hmm. about this the other day. I really remembered the plot of the first one and the sixth one, of course, because it was the first one that I read. <laughs> um, and then I had like vague memories of Aunt Josephine liking grammar and a city that the whole city was was raising them. That's all I got really. So um, after like, reading the first one, I remembered quite a bit of it. But the second one, no memory whatsoever as I was. Yeah.
0: I feel like my memories of like each of these books, like with the plot, I remembered a little bit more generally and then forgot like some of the very specific stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, two things I do want to say is that I also, um, still, still have, um, and haven't played in a while, but maybe I should break it out. Um, after we finish the series is the, uh, GameCube game version of A Series of Unfortunate Events, which uh, I don't think I knew there
1: was a video game.
0: Yeah, it was based on the movie that wasn't that great, Um, but the game was fun. You got to like, you know, it it had, it was like of the first three and you would have to, Violet would make different, you know, inventions that you would have to use for the different levels. Super fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember there being like a level when you're like in- like the ocean town um after you live with Anne Josephine where you have to use this like they call it the peppermint popper and it's basically just like a BB gun but it shoots like peppermint candies out of it <laughs> and it's so weird yeah, this level was like so impossible um my friend Nicole and I played it for like hours and it was it was so hard um that being said even though the movie version which um, if we remember, has Jim Carrey and Meryl Streep in it. And Um, Jude
1: Law, right? Did it have Jude Law in it? I was looking this up the other day when I I first cracked open the first book. um, And I was trying to remember who was in it because I remember Jim Carrey. And I just remember it being like a star-studded cast, aside from the kids, obviously. Um, I'm looking it up again right now. Um, It it reminded me when I rewatched the Percy Jackson movie recently, they really thought that was going to go places and it flopped like so hard because it, it had did. like Uma Thurman. Like it had so many huge name people. And I think this one was the same way where they thought it was going to blow up and then it.
0: Well, she did not. putting the first three together in a single movie was just like not a great idea. Um, yeah. I is, or do you, did you just find it?
1: Yes. Oh, Timothy Spall. AKA That's Wormtail right. was yep. Mr. Poe. Jude Law was Lemony Stickett. Jim Carrey was Olaf. Catherine O'Hara was Justice Strauss. Like there's so many people. Oh my God. Jennifer Coolidge was in it. <laughs> she was the, one of the white faced women. I'm going to have to rewatch the film. Um, I'm sorry. Cedric the Entertainer was in this movie. This is like out of control. <laughs> the level of celebrity that they got to play these random bit parts because they because it was, the books were huge. Yeah. But I will, I will say, I remember not liking the movie. And I remember at the time thinking it makes no sense that they would combine the first three books, but rereading it. I'm like, these are so short. There's not enough material to fill a whole movie.
0: This is true. However, um, I know I have told you this before because you haven't seen it yet. Um, the Netflix mm. series of a series of unfortunate events is excellent. Um, yeah. They took two episodes for each book, which I thought was very smart. Um, oh. And they really, like, they really nailed the tone of these books where it's like there's a whole mystery yet at the same time we're not taking ourselves super seriously because these books are fun um mm-hmm. and witty and i thought that the adaptation with netflix um with um neil patrick harris yeah, yeah. playing count Olaf, was excellent and i'm pretty sure unless this is just a fan rumor that neil patrick harris said that if they got renewed for season two that he would actually get the eye tattoo on his ankle. And I believe he did. So Uh, that's cool. So,
1: yeah. So I've heard excellent, excellent things about the Netflix version, but I always said, oh, I have to go back and reread the books before I'll watch it because I wanted to have it all like fresh and I never finished them. So now that we're reading them, I'll definitely have to watch it when we're done. Definitely. Cool. So I think it's time to dive in, right? I think so. Cool. So If you're new here, here's how this works. We reread a book together. One of us is going to take some notes while we read, write some questions, discussion prompts, if you will. Um, And then the other person's going to have to come up with their answers on the spot. Uh, So this time, Sarah took notes over the first two books. But plot twist, I also ended up taking some notes because I had a lot of thoughts about um, (laughs) the inappropriateness of this for 10 year olds. Um, So it's mainly Sarah doing some notes, but I have a few as well. But yeah, so I feel like (laughs) with Twilight, we always did a Team Jacob and a Team Edward check-in and there really isn't anything
0: remotely
1: similar to that for these. Um,
0: I think the only question that like, and I guess we did kind of touch on it was, um, are these books as good as you remember them
1: being? mm, Yes and no. I will say, I'm saying no because of how dark some of this material is. Like the consent issues alone in the first book are disgusting. Um, But I'm going to say yes. And this was something I really want to talk about. Something that I found so fascinating, and I had no memory of this, was the way that the author, who I can't remember his real name, but Lemony Snicket, the way he uses the story to also explain vocabulary words Mm -hmm. and like common phrases is pure genius because like there are some big words in these books and they're meant to be read by very young children and so it's like built into the plot that someone's always trying to explain definitions to them and then the way that it's written, where it's very much like, I, Lemony Snicket, I'm talking to you, the author. So in like the narration, we get explanations of things like common phrases, like in the second book, he kept saying, meanwhile, back on the ranch, you know, and there's always an explanation for that. And I find that to be fascinating because like kids books, it's, it can be hard as an adult to write for a younger reading level, but the way that this author like stretches that for kids is so cool. And I just love reading that now as an adult and as a former teacher and I went to I went to college to be an elementary school teacher so like this kind of thing is really like it really excites me so um the no is for the appropriate level but the yes is for the really genius writing um 10 out of 10 really exciting
0: yeah and I'm glad you brought that up because that was also like in my notes as well Is that like I did remember um these books having definitions to more complicated vocabulary words. Mm -hmm. I remembered like the meanwhile back at the ranch and the, you know, the definition of out of earshot um, Mm -hmm. and like tenebrous and hue and like, you know um, all of those phrases and vocabulary words. You're right. It is a really smart way to have these books be educational in like a fun way.
1: Yeah. We're like sneaking in some learning when kids think they're just reading a fun book, but they're actually going to learn 20 new vocabulary words. Like, <laughs> it's so. <laughs> yes. Cool.
0: Um, going along with that, what did strike me? And I, I, I think overall my answer is yes, th- these books are as good as I remember them. Um, going along with that though, I because these books are so dark. Um, And I think this is actually true with a lot of things from my childhood. Sometimes I look at TV shows that I really liked. Invader Zim is a great example. And I go, how did this get made? How did somebody say, yes, we are going to make this into a TV show for kids? Um, Invader Zim had an entire episode, for those of you who don't know, it was about an alien who comes to Earth and tries to pass as human. And there was a whole episode. Of Zim like needing to pass this exam to like prove that he was human, and the whole episode he's stealing organs from children in the school. Uh, like, what? <laughs> yes, so he so that when he got like scanned, it would like show that he had all like the internal organs that a human does. Oh, like, God, this was an episode that I that I watched and like wasn't phased by as a child, and I just like think about it, and I'm like that wouldn't get past like an initial meeting nowadays. Um, and not to say that these books shouldn't have been published because they're brilliant. And I'm so glad that we do have them. Um, but there are certain things in this that I'm like, is that really appropriate to have in a kid's book? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because it is so dark and you know, he constantly has warnings at the beginning and the end. And even on like the back of the book, where mm-hmm. he'll just be like, you know, if you don't want to read something like this, you should just put it back and like pretend like everything's fine. Um, so let's just dive into my first question. Uh, mm-hmm. My questions are a little bit more broad mm-hmm. overall. Um, my first question is, why is Mr. Poe in charge of these kids? And do bankers ever actually get to be in charge of children when their parents pass away?
1: I wrote down Poe was completely useless and I hate him <laughs> when I was reading the second book. Um, okay. So here's the thing. Normally, you know, after people die, they have someone, was it like the executor of their estate? Is that the term that I'm looking for? I believe so. Something, something along those lines. sounds correct. Normally it's a lawyer who is in charge of the paperwork. And then it's like a family member gets to make the decisions. So I feel like they combined those two roles in Mr. Poe because he was their like accountant and he was there. He like managed their family finances. So it makes sense that he's involved with that aspect of things. But the, like, when it comes to custody, (laughs) like a will, like, I I remember having this conversation with my parents when we were kids, you know, if something bad happened to us, we were going to go stay with their friends. Ms. Robin and her family um, and being really stressed out by that because they lived at some out of of state, didn't know anybody there. It wasn't like family, you know, but I know like as an adult now, like in a will, it'll say, here's where I want my kids to go. And then that person gets to make a decision. Yes or no. And if they say no, the kids go into the system. They don't just keep bouncing around and around and around And this random banker who controls their family finances, like he controls the trust that has all their money, right? Makes sense. He shouldn't be the person going down. And like in the second one, when they're talking about how they're related to Monty, it's just like 7,000 degrees of separation. I'm like, that's not how custody works in the United States. At least we don't know what country these take place in. It's very vague.
0: Right. And I think, yeah, we, we know that these books take place in our world, but maybe like a slightly alternate universe kind of a world because Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in book one, like it's specifically when they were looking up like the nuptial law, it specifically states in this community, these Mm -hmm. are only the, these are like the three simple things you need to like get married. Right. Yeah. Which is why that plan could have worked because Mm -hmm. it specifically states in this community while like if this these books were explicitly in our world the whole plot of the first book would not even be viable
1: yeah Um, so I guess we really just have to like suspend all belief about the way that wills and estates and marriages are handled in this universe because like it's just ridiculous yeah (laughs) and it just keeps getting more and more and more ridiculous
0: Um, yes. And so I also have, and these two questions go hand in hand. Um, why wasn't their parents will more specific and why do all of the adults suck? Because in the first book, it specifically states that in the will, it's just whatever's the most convenient
1: Mm -hmm. option for the kids. And so that's how in town convenient,
0: Yes. Well, that's at least Poe's first initial interpretation of it was like the most convenient is this guy who just happens to live across town versus someone like Uncle Monty who happened to be like closer to the parents or something like that. Um, why wasn't their parents a little more specific? And why do all of the adults in these books
1: suck? It kind of reminds me like when you're watching, like, or at least when we were kids, Nickelodeon shows or Disney shows, the parents are always complete idiots. Mm-hmm. And that's the same vibe I'm getting here where it's like the kids are the smart ones and the adults are so stupid. And I'm like, there has to be at least one intelligent adult in this universe, you know? <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like me as a single woman who has no children, I don't need a will, you know, like I don't have a bunch of money that's going to go somewhere. I have very little money, <laughs> Like, but I feel like if you're, if you have a partner, like a legal partnership with someone, you should have a will, especially if you're having children involved, like at least in Hollywood, it's very common for people to like have kids and be like, okay, it's time to get our affairs in order. Because if something happens to me, I need to know that my kids are going to go somewhere safe, that I trust Mm -hmm. to be raised the way that I want them to be raised. And these adults just didn't do that. Like, (laughs) especially given how much money they have like this really should have been ironed out a little bit better (laughs) you would hope so clearly they didn't
0: clearly not um another thing that um i had a question about is um why are the police never around when we need them Mm-hmm. And why are there no news outlets to report on this Count Olaf guy? Like, especially after the first one, when he, like, tried to marry Violet and mm-hmm. just to get her money. There should be just, like, a whole slew of, like, news stories about him and be like, be on the lookout for this guy. He's on the loose after trying to, like, steal fortune from these three kids.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, But no. <laughs> I mean, the two books barely take place over three weeks also. Yeah. Like time is moving really quickly. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this is just going to be one of those universes where it's like th- the normal expectations of society and laws like don't exist here. <laughs> um, and I also am like trying to nail down a time frame, you know? Like, is this supposed to be a period piece? No. Like they have cars, they mention home phones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I'm like, but there's, we don't talk about TV at all. We don't talk about the news at all. Like. It's true. But they do go to a movie theater. They do go to um, a movie theater. Yeah. So it's very like ambiguous. Like it could be really anytime. Um, But then they, the way they talk about the theater troupe, I'm like, that is very like, reminds me of like Shakespearean, you know, like mm-hmm. where there's a troupe and they're the ones who do every production together instead of just like. A production team holding auditions so it's it's very the time period is just very fluid and um makes it even harder to figure it out
0: yeah but then I also I feel like might be a good thing because it makes these books kind of timeless in a way Mm -hmm. you can sort of pick it up at any time and still understand like the technology everybody Mm -hmm. is using um without
1: you know All these things that we're pointing, poking holes in, like no kid reading this would ever think about that. No, of course not. Kids don't know about wills or marriage law or like the foster care system. I don't know. So I guess maybe part of this is just like them only covering the parts of the story that like a kid would think about, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't care about the society. (laughs) Yeah. We're just adults. Like we need to know the rules. (laughs) Well, yes, this is,
0: this, this is the entire like point of our podcast is to <laughs> read things as we're older and see if they still hold up um, and chat about them. Um, I only have one other question for you mm-hmm. because as we said, these two first books are very short. Um, what is Lemony Snicket up to? Because we get the way these books are written is that you know, we really get into the head of the narrator who is Lemony Snicket, who Mm -hmm. is someone who has chosen to document the story of the Baudelaire orphans. We don't know how many years have passed since the events of these these first books and like why he has chosen to document them. Um, but he also seems to be on the run all the time.
1: Yes. So another thing I didn't remember is at the end of the books, my favorite part, these letters from Lemony Snicket to the editor. And it's always like in advance. So we finish the first book and there's a letter in the end with very specific spy, like instructions for how the author can get the account of the next book and then publish it. And I didn't remember that. And I think it's so cool. It's like a sneak peek into the next series like he mentions I'm writing to you from the London branch of the Herpeto- herpetological society however you say that where I'm trying to find out what happened to the reptile collection of Dr. Montgomery Montgomery following the tragic events that occurred while the bottler orphans were in his care and then it goes on and on about where he can find more information because it's not safe to just write them a letter and I think that's so fun like to get a sneak peek into what's going on you kind of know generally what the plot's going to be or like yeah. what kind of place are going to end up at least. And it also gives this like air of mystery. Like it's like, this is happening in real time almost. Like we got this book and the second book, the events just happened and he's documenting it. Um, and it ends with, remember, you're my last hope. That the tales of the bottler orphans can finally be told to the general public. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting to me. Because the Lemony Snicket's not just the author, not just the narrator. He's really like a character.
0: He is. is Yeah. Like even at at the end of the second one, it says, please go to the cafe Kafka at 4 p.m. next Wednesday and order a pot of jasmine tea from the tallest waiter on duty. Unless my enemies have succeeded, he -hmm. will bring you a large envelope instead. Inside the envelope, you will find my description of these horrific events entitled The Wide Window, as well as a sketch of curled Cave, a small bag of shattered glass, and the menu from the Anxious Clown restaurant. There will also be a test tube containing one lacrimose leech so that Mr. Helquist can draw an accurate illustration.
1: Mm-hmm. Under no circumstances should this test tube be opened. Like how ominous is that, you know, foreshadowing yeah. of the next book. Um, don't say yes or no but I have a vague recollection that he might actually become like a character character later on, or has some kind of, I think he had a connection to their parents somehow, but I don't remember because I only have like very like random bits of information, but it reads to me like Olaf and his henchmen are after him. Like they, like Olaf doesn't want the story getting out. Right. So that's why Lemony Snicket has to be so careful and sneak around with his editor to get him the story because his enemies, like, to me, that's like Olaf or the hook-handed man or like the white-faced women, you know, like someone's going to, is trying to stop him from the tr- from letting the truth out. So it's very interesting. We love a mystery. Um, yeah. it's uh, It's so the way that it, like even now as an adult but especially when i was a kid that was just very much it's not a cliffhanger which is the worst but it just like gets you excited for the next one so um very cool very yeah. cool writing things for kids here
0: everything about i think the way this series is constructed is very clever um i remember i used to read the back letter to the editor before I would read the book. Um, How dare and, you? <laughs> well, cause it doesn't give anything away of what happens in the actual book, but it just gives you like a sneak peek as to like what'll happen next. And as you go on, those letters get shorter and shorter. Sometimes some of them are like blurred out or there's a water stain on them or they're like cut off. And, What I will say is that I remember, and I'm actually surprised that it hasn't come up yet in the first two books, but I remember that there's an overarching mystery about the letters VFD in this series. And that, that was one of like the big things that was like sort of connected to their parents and sort of connected to the fire and like those letters keep showing up in this series later on. And I'm surprised that we really didn't get any VFD anything in these first two books, um, mm-hmm. you know, but it, there are other things going on that are kind of a through line in this series that are like super interesting.
1: Were those all the questions you had for the first book or both books? Cause I have thoughts for the first book.
0: Um, I think those are all my questions for both books um because like I said these books don't have as many potholes <laughs> as yeah. Twilight um but let's cool. get let's get into let's get into specifics of um like the actual plot of the first and second book I know you have thoughts on that
1: yeah I just these are really just like my stream of consciousness I feel like people notice during and our Twilight episodes you ask these like really great questions where I'm like let's just talk about this <laughs> <laughs> um so some of the notes that I wrote um Oh, okay. I loved the way that like each child has a very specific thing. You know, Violet is the engineer. Klaus is the bookworm. Sunny likes to chew on things. (laughs) But it's really cool to me that the author chose to like defy gender stereotypes. And this was like the 1999. People didn't really do a whole lot of that. But they were like math and science, the girl reading, the boy. (laughs) So just, I really appreciated um, the way that they flip-flopped the gender stereotypes there. Um, some of the specific things that I called out were like the things that were extra gross to me. Mm -hmm. So like, I remembered that these were dark and I remember just like bad things happening to them, but like, as a kid, they were funny. Whereas as an adult, I'm like, when they were living with Olaf, he literally abused them physically. Like he slapped Klaus in the face
0: hard enough mm-hmm. that,
1: that left bruises. He tied an infant up in a bird cage and dangled her out a window yep. for days on end. Like, it's absurd to me that these things, I was like, <laughs> that's so silly, a baby in a cage, dangling out of a tower. Like, but like adult me is just very, Ugh. and that's not even like getting to the fact that he was going to marry a 14 year old girl. Yeah. That is a freshman in high school at best.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: disgusting. Number one. Um, also, my memory of it was very much just like, oh, it's not really a marriage. It's just going to be a certificate so we can get her money. But there were multiple gross comments in this book. Like, um, let me find. I wrote down. Page and, and
0: and not just by Olaf, but by, no, by him his troop and as his, well.
1: Yeah, the guy in his troop both said things that were really gross to me that were just like very for lack of a better word rapey and I was very upset by it um let's see is like proposing to her and she's refusing to answer and he says come now he reached out a hand and stroked Violet's hair would it be so terrible to be my bride to live in my house for the rest of your life You're such a lovely girl. After the marriage, I wouldn't dispose of you like your brother and sister. So he's straight up saying like, you're going to actually be my wife. I'm going to expect you to have sex with me, even though you're a literal child. Like at the time, I really thought he was just going to kill her. Like he was going to kill everybody else. But like that paragraph and he's like touching her hair, like made me nauseous. And then the friend, the hook, not hook-nosed, the hook-handed guy, when he catches her trying to save Sunny, he keeps talking, he's, like, on the walkie-talkie with Olaf, and he's, like, he says something, and she says, yes, boss, of course I understand she's yours. Like, and, like, there were multiple, like, the ways that he she said, I'm not his bride. Very soon you will be. There's just all of these like suggestive things. There was a moment earlier in the books where he like was looking at her weird. And I'm just like, this is, this is gross. And like, they like, I can forgive the rest of this being in a kid's book, but like those, that specifically is what I really was like, come on now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, and the, and those are some of the things where I was like, oh, okay. I, I, It's interesting that those details were okayed to put in a children's book Um, because I feel like the plot overall, like Olaf's plan of marrying Violet is when you think about it in just like absurd terms of like this like stupid plan that he has to get their money, you're like, okay, I get it. Can, can work, can be appropriate for kids, you know, if it's just this like villain evil villain plan that gets thwarted Mm -hmm. um but those comments sort of go the extra mile in a in a Mm -hmm. very uncomfortable place as an adult reading Mm -hmm. this book and since adults are the ones that got this you know published um it's interesting that like the editor and the agent were like, "Yeah, we can keep those details in." Mm-hmm.
1: And like they very easily could have just written this as, "Yeah, I'm gonna marry you, but I, that all that means is you're gonna sign this piece of paper. I'm gonna transfer the money into my account, and then I'm gonna kill you." Like it very much still allows this like plot idea to work without the grossness that all of these little moments added to it. And I was, oh, I was just wildly uncomfortable reading it.
0: Yeah. And like, and it's interesting, but it is interesting though, because like you and I can both say that like, as kids reading this, we really didn't pick up on mm-hmm. how awful that was um, until sort of now when we're, when we have a more adult perspective and we're like,
1: yeah, actually, no, um, not good.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, to to counter
1: that though, like just because you weren't like, we weren't consciously thinking about it. The fact that it was there and we took it in and didn't realize how gross it was. Like, that's just an aspect of rape culture. Like these things that we're just like exposed to at a very young age over and over and over again, starting with, oh, if a boy hurts you on the playground, it's just because he likes you Mm -hmm. to this, which is like explicit. And like, we don't understand what it is. Like these things that we're teaching young kids, Have lasting impacts on the way they're going to act as an adult and like influence society. I could go on a whole ass rant right now about feminism and the patriarchy and how, like, this right here is an example of things that like people don't think about when they're writing it that are really having a lasting impact on like (laughs) systemic issues. Right. But But I won't.
0: But, but that being said, though, um, I will say that it nowhere in this book does. Um, Lemony Snicket, um, excuse Olaf's behavior. Um, I sure. think everything about Olaf and his troop, and it's very clear. Um, it's made very clear that they are evil, that they do not have good intentions, that they are the bad guys. There is nothing that redeems them. Um, mm-hmm. in these books, and so you know, so so yes, I think I would agree with you that like um, of your point, but I also feel like it has to be said that at the same time, even including these details at no point, it, does anybody say that it's okay. That does make me feel a little better.
1: I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of bad things and making excuses for them, <laughs> this ties really well into something I noticed when I was reading the second one, the reptile room. Um, there are several moments In towards the end of the story, where Violet does a series of things that normally we are always telling kids not to do. And the author makes a very good point of saying, normally you shouldn't do this. So, like, for example, they like Monty is Uncle Monty is dead because Olaf has murdered him. And they're trying to get the adults to believe them that he's actually Olaf. They're trying to find the evidence. She lies to the adults to get out of the room and Lemony's like, okay, you know, lying is bad. You're not supposed to lie, but this is an emergency and sometimes lying can help you when you're, when you're not safe. And I was like, love this. Then she goes into her room and she's like, I need an invention to break into, um, Olaf slash Stefano's trunk. And she pulls a plug out of the socket and is messing with the socket itself. And Lemony's like, now remember kids, we don't play with electricity. Oh, the only people who should do this are the people that are trained to do this. But remember, Violet's really smart about engineering. So it's okay that she does it. And she is right.
0: But not only that, just, uh, just to like go over that, um, I forget what page it was, but he doesn't just say like, don't do this. He says, he goes on for a whole page where he says, never, ever, 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 do this. Yes. Unless you are trained. And I, I did have that in my notes, um, where I liked how, um, Lemony Stinkett is giving us the, these role models, you know, as kids, but is also like sort of covering his bases and being like, yeah, don't try this at home.
1: Yeah. And then after that, she, she uses that to like build a lockpick, Mm-hmm. And when he's like, it's like, okay, lockpicks are normally used by bad guys to take things that don't belong to them. But again, this is an emergency, so it's okay that we're doing this. Um, so he, he he like worked really hard in the second book to like teach some life lessons, mm-hmm. where it's like, just because Violet's lying right now doesn't mean you can go lie to your mommy and daddy. But know that if you're ever not safe, that's when you're you can do this. Right. Um, so I really I really appreciate it again. This like dedication towards like teaching kids while they're just like having fun and reading a silly book. Um, Life oh, lessons
0: okay. and vocabulary from yes. a series of unfortunate events. Yes,
1: <laughs> that should be the <laughs> so that should be the title of this episode somehow. Life lessons and vocabulary. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so, speaking of vocabulary, wow, these are some great tie-ins to other thoughts I wanted to talk about. Let's talk about Sunny's vocabulary. Yes. One of my favorite parts of these series is the way the narrator translates baby talk. Like every time Sonny says anything, it's just like nonsense sounds but then the narrator's always like, which really means this. And it's always a very mature, intelligent thought. And it just makes me laugh. Like every time I just love how intelligent this little baby is. Cause she's essentially like, she's listened two. Mm-hmm. She can't really walk. She can't really talk until the end of the first book. She says her first real words, Viper and brilliant, which I think is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, I just really love, again, that's like something that I don't think I've ever seen anyone do before. Like, I, you know, when I read anything and there's like a baby that's just like babbling in the background, so that's the way it's always described. But I just love that we like are getting such a strong representation of Sunny's personality, even though she's literally an infant. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, that's a really fun thing for me. Oh, an interesting thing that I noticed in the second one. So I did not remember that Uncle Monty was going to die, but the audience finds out very early on that he's going to die. And the, the description of, um, uh, something uh, irony, what's the phrase? Oh, um, dramatic irony, dramatic irony. Thank you. Um, so the fact that it's like they, he tells us upfront pretty much that Uncle Monty is going to die which is really sad for a little kid to read a book where a character is dying. Like in the first book we know that their parents have died, but like it pretty much starts after that, you know. So yeah. but there there weren't any like deaths in the meat of that book. Um and we never knew the parents you know that was just like the start of the universe whereas in this one we got to know a character and we loved him and they were like so happy to be living with him so I thought it was really interesting that they um said he was gonna die very early in the book and I wondered if they did that to like soften the blow a little bit because the readers are so young um you know instead of it being like a twist in the end because like when violet and klaus and sunny walk into the reptile room at the end and find their dead uncle's body like that's disgusting and horrible for a child to have to do so i think it like removes that shock and the trauma factor Mm -hmm. for the audience because they know it's coming right um so i thought that was really interesting um Tonight. It is
0: really interesting, and maybe you're right that it does soften the blow, but it also works as another educational moment. It you really know, does. like, it, because, like, Lemony Snicket is upfront from the very beginning that, like, you know, the the book starts off being like, this book, nothing, ha- nothing good happens, <laughs> nothing good yeah. happens at the beginning or the end or anything in the middle. It's just a horrible story. Please don't read it. Um, <laughs> he can get away with being like we know how this goes. you read the first one. You know the second one. This is called a series of unfortunate events. Um, Uncle Monty probably something bad is going to happen. And he Mm -hmm. uses it as a way to introduce it, but also introduce like a literary device of like, Mm -hmm. hey, this is this thing. This is what it means. And this is an example of it. And then he like brings it back like after Uncle Monty dies Mm -hmm. um, to prove his point, which I think is Yeah. Just so clever. I just really love this series so much.
1: Yeah. It's, I I think it's more fun for me as an adult, when I see those things where like Mm -hmm. every time they define a word, I'm just like education. So important. (laughs) And it's like hidden in here, you know, like no kid wants to go to school and learn about dramatic irony. Like that's not fun unless they already have a love for reading and writing, which is rare at this age but they like hit it within a book that every kid was reading when these books were coming out. So it was just super, super cool. Um, the only other thought I had was at the end of the reptile room, Monty is dead. Olaf has escaped. Um, the kids had fallen asleep on the stairs and they wake up and all of the reptiles are being loaded up into a truck. And I was yeah. really sad about that. <laughs> I, that. It was a very sad ending. It was very emotional. Not only that they had to say goodbye, especially to the extremely.
0: The incredibly deadly, deadly Viper.
1: Thank you. Incredibly deadly Viper. Because like Sonny and the Viper were besties. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they had to mention that they were all going to be split up. And I was like, man, they've all been living together. I mean, I know they were in separate cages for the most part, but like that can be really traumatic for an animal to be moved from one location to another, especially a cage animal. And then like the only things that were normal, like the human that's taking care of you and all of the other animals that live there and they all got split up. And I just thought that was really sad. And then they mentioned that the viper was crying looking at them and it broke my heart. You know,
0: it's so sad. And like, I, I, oh, it'd be so cool if like another book came out just like of Lemony Snicket, like you know, because you, like, you just read um, in the letter to the editor, you know, he was like, I'm trying to track down, like, Uncle Monty's entire reptile collection, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, did he?
1: Yeah, like, did, did you find them? them? somewhere? Can you tell me? Did one of the other snake scientists did, like, adopt all of Monty's people? Like, these are the things that I care about as a 29-year-old yeah. reading this book. I want to know what happened to the animals. <laughs>
0: so sad so sad well but
1: know. that's that's the whole point of the series <laughs> I know and like part of me is like I mean it ends and I'm like it's probably gonna have a really sad ending still like I'm sure there'll, there'll be some like they're gonna resolve the plot but it's probably still gonna be really unfortunate because that's the name <laughs> of the series <laughs> so I'm like not I don't know I, I feel like I don't look forward to the next book because of the plot, because I know it's just going to be sad. I look forward to it because of the writing Mm because the writing is great. Oh my God. It's the exact opposite of how I felt about twilight. I loved the plot. I hated the writing. (laughs) (laughs) And now we (laughs) flip-flopped. At least we have good writing, you know, going forward for at least a few episodes. So true. (sighs) So episode two, of series of unfortunate events will cover books three and four the wide window and the miserable mill. I have a vague memory of the wide window. I don't remember anything about the miserable mill. So that'll be really (laughs) exciting when we get there. Um, so I think, Oh, you know what I did write? I did write one question. I don't know (laughs) if I told you, I wrote this down in our run of show. Um, so something I thought that would be fun instead of doing team Edward or team Jacob, what we're going to do here. We have two books that we just read and talked about, which universe would you rather live in the first one or the second, one? The like second you, one? Yeah. I feel like even though I am terrified of snakes, like terrified of them and I don't like reptiles, I like frogs. Um, so at least there's that. And it's a clean place. Like with an actual Yeah. It's a clean place and they have beds and it's comfortable and they're, you know, they're having fun. And there's cake Um, and there's movie dates and there's, Oh yeah. They go to the movies every single day. You're right. This one was super easy. Do we want to live in Olaf's gross, dirty house? No. No, we definitely want to live with Uncle Monty. No,
0: this will be, this will be a good check-in, like,
1: especially yes. between like books three and four. Um, yes. Once and things- as we go on. Yeah. Yeah. This is our replacement for Team Edward or Team Jacob. We're going to say, are we, t- who do you want to live with? Olaf or Monty? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously Monty. we want to live with Monty. Every time. Um, yeah. I forgot I put that in the notes. Hmm. Okay. So then the last thing for real bad summaries of what we just Mm -hmm. read so like a combo summary of books one and two all right so my last call is a
0: series of events in which the children are much smarter and more
1: responsible than the adults it's pretty good i thought you were just gonna say a series of unfortunate events (laughs) (laughs) you could say that
0: all of these events were unfortunate
1: unfortunate (laughs) um i'm trying to think of what my bad summary is like a creepy old guy hits on a 14 year old tries to steal her money and then she's forced to live in a house with a bunch of scary animals with her siblings because she's not the only one
0: (laughs) that's a good one
1: (laughs) there you go that's my last call
0: (laughs) creepy old man constantly tries to
1: rob three orphans yeah there it is that's that's (laughs) your last call for the whole series (laughs) cool well i think these are going to be much shorter episodes than twilight
0: (laughs) yes i i agree um yeah but that's okay
1: it's probably a good thing or we we talked a lot about twilight we
0: did we talked a lot about twilight
1: Cool. Well, I feel like we never said this when we were filming Twilight because we filmed them so far in advance, but now we know new episodes come out every other Wednesday. So two weeks from today is when our next episode covering books three and four of series of unfortunate events will come out. Follow us on Instagram, realmind underscore podcast. We have a TikTok too, but we've never put anything on it. So maybe by the time TikTok, this comes TikTok out, content coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> um that's everything. And I mean, did TikTok
0: I- TikTok is rewind podcast, no underscore in between. Oh, you're
1: right, you're right. Um cool. Well w- well, once this episode goes up, we'll put up a poll for you to vote on your favorite last call. And we decided the other day that. We're going to pick a winner for each book series of who wins the most last calls. And the loser is going to have to get them a present or something or like a mm-hmm. cake. I can't remember what we haven't decided what the loser is going to have. There to do, will be but. a
0: prize. So we'll see you guys next time. And first round's on us. Rewind is written and produced by Sarah Jones Dittmeyer and Emily Cavender. It's edited by Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. Music is by Mark Shredo. Find us on TikTok at Rewind Podcast or on Instagram at Rewind underscore podcast.